This Cool Is Out podcast with Mike and Miles. We're all about asking questions and finding solutions for all things education. School is out. Now let's get started. Hey, Miles. Hey, Mike. How's it going? Doing great. Good. So we have something different today, right? You have some questions you wanted to ask or you wanted to explore the building level principalship? That's right. We've talked about teaching. We've talked about schools. I want today to talk about great building level level leadership, and I've invited the best guest that I can think of to talk about that, who is Mike Ditzenberger. Oh, thank you. I'm not trying to pump you up too much, but I'll explain a little bit more in a minute why this is something that I want to do on the podcast, and we'll get to some great strategies that building level administrators can use to make, hopefully, their buildings great as well. All right. Well, thank you for the compliments. I I should probably disclose, too, that I have no idea what these questions are. So you're kind of just bringing them to me, and we'll we'll get through them as best we can. Sounds great. All right. Let's get started. So I want to explain. I don't want to take a whole lot of time doing this, but I want to explain how we got to this point. We've explained on the podcast that we were both teachers. Uh, We are both now administrators, but want to explain kind of the role that or the relationship that brought us to this point. So about three years ago, I had the opportunity to do an internship in your building. I was working on my uh, administrative certification and you were someone that I had worked with and knew um, fairly well and asked if I could do an internship in your building. And I expected that largely to be like you would expect most other internship experiences someone had gone through to be like, I would come to your building, I would do a few projects, and I would leave. Um, But for me, that internship became a very important experience in that it helped to prove to me that school leadership could be something different and could be something that I wanted it to be in my mind. And for the first time, I got to see a school leader in action in a different way, but also have some pretty meaningful conversations with you about how you do what you do. So I think what I would like to do is give you the opportunity really to share some of the perspective that you have on leadership and some of the great things that you do in your school with everyone else, because our goal in the podcast is to get the ideas and the actions that we do out to a larger audience and hopefully make positive change. Okay, well, there's there's a couple of sayings that I live by. If you want me to get right into the, like, what do I do and, and how's it get done? I live by a couple of sayings. One, the primary thing that I go by is my, my daily mantra of do what's best by kids and then what's best by, build, by the building in that order. So <clears throat> that's not to say that you're putting anybody on a back burner, but you, you kind of are because if it's good for kids, you're going to do that. But you have to also be able to do what's good for kids and what's good for the building, the staff, the building itself. So that's that's like number one. Um, the second thing that I that I always say is, you know, don't don't tell me. It's kind of me talking to myself. Like don't get don't get hooked into telling or exhibiting what you'll do for a kid because people might might say like, well, I'll do anything for a kid. No, you won't. You won't do anything for a kid. So don't don't put that out there. So I I rearranged that question for myself is what won't you do for a kid so 
I came up with three things that I will not do for a kid, and if it's outside of those three things, I, I consider it fair game. So I won't, I won't uh, go to jail for a kid, because if I go to jail for a kid, then I can't help any more people. Um, I won't lose my job for a kid, kind of the same thing. But if I lose my job over a kid, then I can't help more kids. And then the third thing is, is I won't hurt a kid to help another kid. That makes no sense to me. So I just, I don't feel that, that that's, that's what's right. And by those, those couple of things, I'm sure there's a couple more in there, things that I, that I have, little sayings or whatnot, but primarily that's, that's how I go. Um, I guess there's another one is just do for people. You've got to be a doer. You've got to. You've got to be willing to do what it takes to help people, kids, staff, everyone. Um, and in doing that, it, it looks a lot like your, your position as a principal is no different than your position anywhere else. It's just now that as a principal, your, your level of doing is much, much higher because you are going to be a teacher sometimes. You're going to be a a building leader you're going to clean up messes you're going to do everything that everybody else does when they are unable to do it so you step in in every single role so let's go back and focus a little bit more on those three items that you talked about Mm -hmm. that for you are lines you wouldn't cross when you explained those to me a few years ago you called those your non-negotiables yeah and that makes a lot of sense to me, but also very powerful statements in, you know, going into any situation, these are three lines that I will not cross, but I will go up to that line at any point for anyone at any time. Talk a little bit about how those function in your daily operation, because to me, those are powerful statements and it's the reverse of how most people look at situations. Most people look at situations from a, a policies perspective. When this happens, we do this, this, and this. That's flipping the script a little bit. And you're saying, I'm willing to do anything in any situation. There are just three things that I won't do. And I think the first part of that, at least for me, as, I've attri- I, as I have attempted to apply those to my own position or my own career, I am willing to pretty much do anything short of getting fired is basically what you're saying. Yeah. There's nothing that I won't do to help people in this community. Right. So I, I guess the, the traditional idea of a principal is, you know, the guy that wears the shirt and tie in the office that, that does discipline and goes to meetings and stuff like that. Well, I'm not that person at all. Um, my job as a principal is is not to be any sort of position, is not to be some sort of you know, administrator of policy. My, my job as a principal is to get the professionals what they need to do to get their job done, period. So my job is, is not as difficult as a teacher's job because the, the, we're here for kids. So my job is to get teachers what they need, no matter what that is. If that's help with a kid who needs de-escalation, that's my job. If it's I need a resource and I can't get it or I don't have access to it. It's my job to get them the access for it. If it's I need coverage because I need to go today, then it's my job to either get that coverage or be that coverage. Um, <clears throat> a kid missed his bus and the parents can't come the, come get a kid. It's my job to get that kid home. So in every case, I fill the gap what's needed to educate kids. 
Um, and sometimes that looks a little bit tricky, but that's doing for people. That is what the job is. You are doing for people. Now, do I go to meetings once in a while? Sure, I do. Do I have to be a disciplinarian sometimes? Sure, I do. Um, but at the same time, I'm doing what needs to be done for the kids and then for the staff. Another aspect of what you do as a building leader that really always stood out to me and seemed to be different than what I had seen modeled other places, and I've been in a lot of schools and seen things done different ways, but that is really prevalent in administrative leadership right now is being an instructional leader. Mm -hmm. And what the literature will tell you is that's what a building level leader needs to be. I don't know that that always happens. And in my life, that's a very difficult thing to do on a day-to-day basis because like what you said of all the different things that you're trying to do, but I have seen you in action and talk about the importance of being the instructional leader in your building. Yeah, so I'm not going to lie. I mean, I guess I should be a little bit more humble, but I was an okay teacher, and I think that good principals were good teachers. I mean, that is that is important to know. So if, if, if I'm going to rely on myself being an instructional leader, I've got to think of what I did in my practice as a teacher that made me good. And it's, it's that I was reflective, that I was very curious. And I think that curiosity is what drove everything that I did was I'm going to try this and see what the kid's reaction is to it. And I, I do that as a, as a principal. Now I suggest things to people and say, Hey, have you taken a look at this? Are you curious about that? Or have you tried this and see what, seen what the reaction to it is? But I think in that aspect, too, a, a good principal or myself, or I don't know, call it what it is, is going to have to get that across to a teacher in a way that isn't that isn't black and white administrative like. So it, you can't just say do this and and you'll you'll see a change. No, it, you've got to have open communication with a teacher, and not every teacher is going to be as open to hearing suggestions like that as others. So getting somebody to do something because it's important for kids, if it goes against their way of doing things, that, that might be a long system of getting that done. So you've, you've got to really balance out what is it that kids need, what is it that teachers need, and if, it's, if, there's, if that goes against the grain, then you've got to figure out how do you, how do you work that into place. Right, because whatever it is you're trying to accomplish or your instructional model is going to be different than what some people are used to or some people accept. Right. But taking on that role of instructional leader, that doesn't ever mean, I don't think, that you can back down from your convictions and your beliefs and how you think it needs to be done. Right, I agree. So, I mean, for example, if, if somebody's in front of the class and their their class is not being successful and and what you hear from a teacher is, well, I taught it, they just, they're just not learning it. Well, that, that doesn't go well with me. But now how do I address that problem without just shutting down a teacher who I know is important to be in front of kids and is a, is a good teacher? You know, they're, they're a good person, they're a good teacher, but they're stuck in this idea that it's, it's the kid's sole responsibility to learn what I'm teaching. Well, that's a long process of getting those ideas shifted. And, you know, there, there's, it takes years sometimes, 
You've got to be patient on that. And if you stick your convictions, it's still going to get done. Okay, let's move on to another, I guess, important lesson that I think that I learned from you or watched you do, and that's your overall commitment to your school community. You told me on many occasions, the same way with your non-negotiables, that you will pretty much do whatever is necessary for your school community. But it seems to me from our conversations that your level of commitment to your students, to your teachers, but to the families that come to your building is at a level that I haven't really seen very often in other schools. Mm -hmm. Your commitment and what you're willing to do for that school community is rare. So, yeah, there's with that comes, you've got to... I guess you, geez, I'm dancing around that. Let's just shoot it right at the right at the target. Um, you got to set anything aside, like any. You got to check your ego at the door. Period. End of story. You got to check whatever boundaries you had at the door, and say, "Well, that's not my job." Well, if it's not one of those three non-negotiables, it is your job as a principal. Um, and I don't think of it as a job. I think of it as a relationship, you know. And somebody asked me this. I was just at an interview a week ago, and the, the interviewee asked, what is it that, that you love most about your job? And I said, it's the relationships that I have with the school community, with the kids, the parents, everybody, with the teachers. That's a symbiosis. That goes two ways. You know, I need them as much as they might need me, and we share that relationship often. So... Every parent knows that if they need something or if they have a question that needs answered, they can ultimately rely on me for at least, if not being able to answer that question, guiding them to a place where they can find an answer to that question. And that commitment comes with, I will come to your house at any given time. I will give you my cell phone number. And right there, people are like, nope, I won't do that. Well, I will. Well, you don't want people calling you at midnight. If they call me at midnight, they have a reason to call me at midnight. I might be the last person that they can get to. And if they trust me, I'm going to help them. Because some people don't have anybody else to turn to. And if it is the school principal, then that discussion will be had down the line somewhere that how dare our community let down somebody that they only can rely on a school principal. But I'm going to be there for them. Um if, if it's a matter of food insecurity, I'll take care of that. Either I'll, I'll use our resources or my own to get that done. I won't let somebody in our community, which is a larger family, go with need. That's just, that's not an option with me. So let me just rattle off the top of my head some things I've heard you talk about or do for your school. I've seen you cooking food at the fair to raise money for your school. Yes. I've seen you go to the homes of your students routinely to either take kids home or to talk with the families about a need that they may have. I've seen you with students in your office when they could have been or should have been somewhere else because what they need is to be with you right then. I've seen you, like you said, texting parents, calling parents, staying at your building very late because if you didn't do that, what else would happen? Right. And that, I mean, that's, it, it's not an easy job when it comes to those things. But again, if, if that's what your community needs and that's what the kids need, then you do it. Period. End of story. 
Um, my wife understands that. I mean, that that's a valid part of this conversation too. Can your relationship sustain what you're willing to do for a building? And th- that needs to be put on the table as well. I mean, there's times when I share my marriage with my job, but not in a bad way. It's just a thing that my wife knows about me. I, I think that service to your community is, is very, very important. And I'm not trying to, in that, pump you up as like the world's greatest principal or something like that. Right. What I'm pointing out is that that level of availability mm-hmm. to me is very genuine and what your school community needs. It's not to say that everyone is going to do it that way or can do it that way. Right. The complete opposite way of looking at a school leader's role is I don't get paid to do those things. That's not my job. And like you said, your job is everything short of this. And that's just the way that you're choosing to look at it and approach what you do. Yeah. And see, I don't one of those weirdos that doesn't really consider the pay part of the job. I mean, if you took the paycheck away, would I still do it? I'd, I'd feel compelled to help, but I'd probably have to, like, pay my bills some other way. But, like, the job and the paycheck, aren't, they, don't, they don't go hand in hand with me. Like, I don't consider one with the other. You know, and I think it's worth discussing something people considering school leadership or people in school leadership always have a lot of questions about, and that's behavior management at the building level. A lot of times before people go into administration, they think, how much discipline am I going to have to do? Or what does that look like? Um, I have seen you approach the management of behavior in your building differently than what a traditional behavior management approach in a school would look like. Could you just talk about your philosophy a little bit and then how that looks in your building on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, so... Discipline is teaching. I don't care what anybody else says about it. If, if a person thinks that discipline is, in, is leaning on policy, then you're wrong. Um, discipline is teaching. You've got to teach kids that need to learn something else other than academics sometimes. And if, if that's behavior, then so be it. Um, that is not going to happen if kids are out of the building. But that's not to say that sometimes kids can't or mustn't go out of the building so sometimes yeah i've got to suspend kids sometimes we'll talk about that but the first thing in in approaching any sort of discipline at all is is there a relationship with this child and i think that is very important as a building principal is you better have relationships with all the kids in the building and i don't mean some kids i don't mean i mean all the kids every single kid needs to know who you are not what you are who you are, what do you like, what do you, what, what's something about you that everybody knows. That needs to be done because when they come to your office for discipline needs or if you are talking to a kid in the hallway for, for a need for discipline, they've got to know what they're walking into just like you as a principal need to know what you're walking into. So they need to know somewhere where that middle ground is or where the arena is that you two are going to meet and what is it going to look like? Is it going to have a predictable outcome that is meaningful? So not necessarily, if you lean on policy for that, a kid's just going to, that's simple stimulus response. I'm going to do this so I can get that. I don't feel like being in school today. I know what I can say or do to get out of school today. No, no. You've got to understand as a building principal that the relationship is everything. 
So all discipline is handled so much more smoothly if you have a relationship with every single kid in the building. They know your mannerisms. They know that when you're walking down the hallway, they, the kids know the sound of my footsteps. And they're either excited to come and see me or they want me to come into the room or they know I'm there for a reason. They're reading my body language as I am theirs. There's a, there's a pretty close relationship there. There has to be. You cannot be a principal and be that person in the office or that person that only shows up for bad things. Like, it's... It's a lot more than that. I think there's some powerful things in what you said there. As you were saying that, I was thinking to myself, I wonder which approach is easier for a building leader. The process that you just described there is different than a ticket system of a line outside of the principal's door. This student did this. You get this. And then you did this. This is what the book says. Here's your slip for this. Go on your way. But I wonder deep down, and I'm not I'm not trying to say that in a funny way, mm-hmm. which approach is ultimately easier to pull off. Well policy is easy. I mean just in just leaning on policy is the easiest thing you can do. Oh, kids swore to teacher, okay, you're out for three days. That's the easiest thing you could possibly do. Having relationships and working with a kid, meeting them where they are and getting them what they need, that is a tough exhausting job i'm not gonna lie i'm not gonna sugarcoat it it is exhausting and is that is that me trying to to be somebody or say you know feel a certain way toward me no that's not that at all but helping people is not an easy thing to do and when you have people that have difficult levels of need it it's even more difficult but what's even more difficult than that is if when you add on the layer of at the other end of that discipline is a staff member, a teacher. So now you've got to somehow work with a kid to get them where they need to be and then re-enter them into a situation that they might have been trying to escape and then have the person on the other side of that trust you that you're doing what's right for that kid. That's that's where it becomes very difficult and you've got to be very careful and you've got to be very thoughtful while you're doing all that you're doing. What you're describing, if you dig into your current literature, restorative practices. And if you look at the literature on restorative practices, you'll see just what you're talking about written as philosophy and approach. What you don't see a lot of in that literature is what that actually looks like at a building level. We've had conversations about this. Yes, I can take a restorative approach. Yes, I can do in this moment or for this child what I feel as though they need now. But there are other factors as you're trying to do that. Like you said, this incident happened. This teacher was harmed. This other student was harmed. Whatever. And there's always going to be a balance between what you need to do for that individual student who has the behavior problem or who has done something wrong right and maybe the victims of that incident or the other stakeholders involved in the situation it becomes very tricky at times to manage that and you're not going to see that in the restorative practice literature you're not going to see that in your preparation materials to become a building leader 
it's it's a feel. I think it's it's experience. It's sticking to your philosophy of what you're trying to do in your building. Certainly, and I think that's where knowing your community is going to help you with that because we didn't even get into the part like I'm glad that you just said that we didn't even get into the part where okay if you have a situation of discipline there's there's an administrator on one end there's a teacher on the other end there's a student in the middle we never even got I never even got into what if there's a victim what if there's a student victim also in this so let's say a kindergartner hits another kindergartner and then swears at a teacher now I've got now I've got really a, a mess going on here because I've got the parents now of the kindergartner that was struck, and I've got to know who they are because if I just lean on policy and say, well, that kid's suspended, that might appease the victim's parents, but is that what's best for this kid? I'm not saying that I'm not going to suspend that kid because if those parents expect that our policy is is enforced, I'm going to suspend the kid that did the hitting. All right, because I can't not invoke policy there. But at the same time, I have to be prepared to get this kid to re-enter the classroom. And now I've got to convince or show or guarantee to these other parents their child is safe, that I've got a plan in place. The same with the teacher. But now I've got to work that plan and get the kid who struck the other and swore at the teacher to understand that there's a different way to go back into the classroom without doing those things. And always saying, if then, if then, isn't necessarily the way to go. And then what if it happens again with another kid? There's just so many things that, but you're trying to get a kid to buy into their own education and you're trying to get a community to trust that that's what you're going to get to happen. I think those things that you're talking about are really important and we, we, talked about this before we started to record the podcast today you're in a kind of a unique position because you've seen what those behaviors or what students who may be involved in long-term discipline situations look like at the high school level and then what it looks like after high school and then now you're you have the opportunity to be an elementary school principal where you see some of those early struggles that students might go through starting to materialize and you're trying to approach them differently to avoid what you've seen the end result of that look like when someone's 17 18 25 years old right if if all we can do is settle on policy i can guarantee you if a child is not successful within the realms of policy at an early age they're also not going to be successful with policy as they move through their secondary schooling and I, I can tell you right now, if, they're, if they continue to not be successful with the use of, a, of policy through a school district, we, they have a very high likelihood of being incarcerated. Very high likelihood. And that's, that's one thing in our world we call like the school-to-prison pipeline. And I'm not okay with that. I try to intervene upon that as soon as I see that there's issues. And I think that's my job as an elementary school principal. And it was my job as a, as a secondary principal, too, is... I guess there's two different lines there I, w- I would say is try to try to get a kid over thinking that they have to be bad to get attention there's a different way and then work with how to get positive attention but at that secondary level it when you have a kid who has a very high level of need at a secondary level and you're a principal 
there's one thing at your disposal that you have that all other teachers or all other staff members do not have, and that is time. So, for example, if you're a principal at a high school and you know a kid needs a high level of support today, well, guess what? You're a principal. You have time to work with that kid all day if needed. And people would say, well, what about the other job? The other job's not important right now because this kid's need overrides everything else. So if you need to spend all day counseling a kid because they have a trusting relationship in you, then that's what gets done. But if you can't do it again tomorrow, then you need to find somebody who can help you possibly tomorrow and explain that to the kid. I think that's a great transition into another point that I put on my list of lessons I've learned from you. And that's the order in which you make decisions on a daily basis, maybe on a yearly basis. You shared with me many times that the order that you make decisions is what's best for the student first, what's best for the building second. Yes. I have that right? Yeah, that's exactly it. So if, if, if I guess if I paint a scenario, if I'm going about my day and I'm heading to a classroom to do an observation and there's a kid in tears with two staff members behind this kid, I'm not going to an observation. I'm stopping whatever is on my schedule and I'm helping that kid, period, end of story. And I'm going to focus on the kid first. The adults might, if I can look at that situation and there's, there's no adults bleeding and there's no, there's no trauma or anything like that, it's just me and the kid now. It's that kid, me, we're figuring it out, and then I'll get to the adults. Because, again, what business are we in? We're in the business of teaching kids. So. And when you think about that, it all makes sense. You've shared those things with me over and over again. You know those are part of your core beliefs. When you're walking down the hall, you don't then have to think about that. Should I go to this observation because that's what I'm supposed to do or should I help this student? No, you already know I'm always going to do what's best for the students first. Always. Then I'm going to do what's best for the building. In your list, I don't ever hear I'm going to do what's best for Mike. No, I'm going to take I'm going to take an hour right now to go do this because that's important for my life. You no. don't have that anywhere in your list. No, that doesn't exist in my list. And again, I'm not trying to be a, a martyr to anything. It's just not part of my list. Do I still take time for lunch? Yes, I do take time for lunch. I understand that if I don't nourish myself, I don't have the energy to continue to, to work. Do I still take a sit down break sometimes if I need one? But that might happen in a classroom. I can be in a classroom just as easy as I can be in my office. Um, if I need to get something done because my bosses are harping at me to get it done, I'm going to get it done. If it can't happen in the school day today, I'll have to take it home and get it done. But the school day is for kids, and that's where I focus my energies. At the same time, though, let's say I'm not working right now. Okay. Um, if I'm working, If I'm working towards adults and adults need something... Now I've got to figure out how am I going to get the adult what they need. There's nothing wrong with doing that, too. I mean, if, if there's no emergent in-your-face need for to help a kid right now, what are you doing for the building? Like, what's your role now? Um, I mean, of course, you've got all your other administrative duties you've got to get done. You've got to make sure your schedules are okay. You've got to make sure your evaluations are getting done and that the teachers are doing what you expect them to do. Are you planning those conversations? Are you thinking about what those conversations are going to look like? Because, again, you're, the job isn't just discipline. It's not just dealing with kids' behaviors. It's running a building to your vision. And 
all of that goes into it. It's there's there's a lot to it. Okay, Mike. So the next thing that I had on the list that I wanted to talk about, and it's not something that I think that you've shared with me specifically, but more of something that I have observed, is your commitment to the building culture and the fact that you don't mind having fun at your school. You want your students to enjoy being there. You want the staff to enjoy being there. You told me a little story that the students would come up to you when you first arrive in your building and they would say the principal that was there before you would come into the cafeteria and like they would be really, really upset if there was noise going on and be angry or whatever. And then when you came to the building, you'd come in and like, you'd make the cafeteria louder. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I didn't, I didn't do that intentionally. I mean, our cafeteria is very loud. Um, and I, I learned very quickly too, like, be careful how you walk into the place or you'll, you'll blow it up. But sometimes if you need it to blow up just to have some fun, then that's, that's another thing too. Um, yeah, you've, you've got to, you've, I guess you got to, you got to know what you want your kids coming in and leaving with. I mean, you don't want, you don't want people coming into work or into school, leaving, hating what they do. I mean, it's, it's way better to have a smile on your face leaving. So how do you do that and then still have a structured atmosphere? I think that's that's where your personality has to shine through. Every kid knows that if if they're not cutting up in the hallway or, or doing whatever, they're going to get a high five. They're going to get a what's up. You know, I have kids that'll that'll use my my sayings back on me. Like every year, I have different little sayings that I say with kids all the time. Like, you know, you you walk down the hallway and. I guess I'm the guy that wears a suit to work with, with tennis shoes on, but that's intentional and there's a reason behind it. But kids can approach me about that. They're always wanting to fist bump me or high five. That's intentional. All of that is very, very intentional so that they have somebody, somebody that they can relate to, somebody that they're not afraid of. But at the same time, that if, if something's going bad or if they think they're going to leverage power some way and, and disrupt something, they also know that that expression on my face will change and they're like, oh, I know why you're here. But I'm not afraid of what's about to happen. I know that I can predict that outcome. Um, yeah, it, it's important to, to leave that stuff at the door. You know, it, go outside and play at recess. There's nothing wrong with that. Or walk up to a group of kids that are in the hallway and, and crack a joke that's that's still appropriate for a high school kid. There's nothing wrong with those things that paints you as a human being, but it also creates a more trusting relationship. If you know that you can, like, I guess a couple of years ago, I did it in the cafeteria. It was hilarious. I, the, I guess at Minecraft or one of those games that the kids play, not Minecraft, uh, Fortnite or whatever, there's, there's these different stances. I just walked into the cafeteria and did a T-pose just stand like a big T. The entire cafeteria stood up and did the exact same thing, and then I left. They're like, Wah! like, Wah. that was kind of fun, <laughs> you know. So, and listening to that, those things are no different than what you did when you were a teacher, right? And I can't remember if I shared this on the podcast before, but when I first started to teach in the same building with you and I would hear students coming into my classroom talking about um, playing Xbox Live at night with Mr. D. And I was sitting there thinking, teachers are allowed to do that? And I, I didn't even know that at that time that teachers could interact with students in an appropriate way, but a way to show them 
I'm here with you. Mm -hmm. I care about you. Yeah, I like the same things you do, or I'm at least able to take an interest in the same things you do because I care about you. So in hearing you say that, the same things you did when you were a teacher, you now do as a building-level leader. You already said this. It's really no different. Teaching a class of kids is really no different than teaching a school of kids. Right. That's the thing. As you move into the principalship or even, even beyond that, you just get a bigger classroom, and that's... People ask me, like, what is it that made you decide to leave teaching to go be a principal? I said, I never left teaching. I'm still as much of a teacher as I ever was. I just have way more kids in my class now. I'm teaching adults to, to deliver what's in my head is, is what, I, what I thought in my classroom. I, I, I kind of want to bring that to everybody now. And if I were to move into, like, a superintendency, I would want to bring that into an entire school district how do, we create, how do we create the most impactful, meaningful learning experience for as many kids as we possibly can? Um, and that, to me, just it, it went beyond a classroom of kids every 42 minutes and into a school of kids. And how am I trying to create that now within the minds of every teacher to, to be serious about what you do, but to also have fun being serious about what you do. But I'm going to tell you from firsthand experience that that commitment to staying true to yourself, your core beliefs, and upholding all of those things that you feel are most important is not always easy because you're going to have people around you as you go into lead a building or as you go into another role that's different than the role you have now that feel as though your role and your position should look a certain way. You're always going to feel those pressures. You feel them as a teacher. I know what I'm doing is right in my classroom. I'm going to do this this way. And some people around you, whatever forces those are, sometimes make you feel as though you're not quite doing the right thing because it's different than what the system expects. Yeah. Sometimes your approach is different than what the system expects. And the literature will tell you if you do that at the classroom level or if you do that at the building level, that outside pressure sometimes wears you down. And sometimes if you don't have those like-minded stakeholders around you, they could pressure you into doing some things that are even outside of your core beliefs. Yeah, so I'm I'm glad that you said that. Um, It is exhausting. You can and do get worn down doing what I do. Um, My level of expectation for adults and kids is very, very high. Um, and there's a lot of things that go that go on behind the scenes that people don't see. I guess maybe they see in time when when they have conversations with me the the amount that I've invested in what I'm doing. So some of these things together, I think a lot of times what you do or what we have done is say we're going to make this happen in this situation, regardless of any policy structure, roadblocks, whatever. This is going to happen for this individual student or for this group of students or whatever. Now I'm just going to find the ways to get it done. Right. Yeah, that's that's important to know too. I guess you know if you're if it's important if it's important to you, it's going to get done. Period. End of story. Um, and the other place I was going with this, and you know, I think that maybe some young administrators or people who are considering going to administration may encounter this podcast someday. You know, talk about the internship experience that I had with you, I have deep philosophies. I have deep expectations that I've established 
over the past 20 years in education, and even myself in moving into my first principalship, at times I felt myself slipping into the role that I thought, not even that I thought the principal should be, that had been modeled or the expected principal role in some situations. And I had to constantly reflect and tell and think to myself, is this what I want to do in this job or is this what I think someone else expects from this job? What You kind of have to navigate for that self. And I don't think that you walk into any job, any principalship day one, just being able to run with exactly what you want to do every second. It's a constant negotiation and learning the system that you're in and how you can best put yourself and your own philosophy in that role. Yeah, you've, you're not going to be able to change that immediately. I mean, it takes years for people to realize what you're willing to do for them and the, and the system itself or the community. Um, and and you're, you're, not, you're either going to be one of two people. You're going to be a person that outwardly just does for people and, and builds relationships with them, or you're going to be the person that is very systematically oriented and is going to rely on policy and procedure to get things done. I'm not saying that one is better than the other. I'm just saying what I do, if, if it's unique, that's probably why, because I don't often lean on that structured policy procedure um, model. I mean, I, I do follow our policies. I don't violate them. I don't, I don't try to get away from procedures, but my procedures certainly look different than, than other people's. But again, that's, that's where my level of trust comes in. You know, I, I trust our community, our, our parents, our teachers, our students, as much as they trust me. And, and you're not going to develop that trust by being somebody who is in an office making decisions and phone calls very impersonally for people. So in this podcast, like we've said, we've kind of departed from a little bit of the traditional format that we followed. But what I wanted to do is kind of put forth my ethnographic research in a way on on our conversations but what I've seen you do at the school level because I think it's really important I think it's really important for people to hear that for people to know at least from my perspective that you're an expert in doing these things and there's so much to learn from the way that you do them we're going to kind of summarize some of the things that we've talked about and then if there's more things that you think I missed on Mm -hmm. that are part of what you do that administrators need to hear or a larger educational committee or community needs to hear let's have you touch on those too sure so you know first and foremost i think that your non-negotiables are powerful there are just a couple of things that you're unwilling to do that would bring personal harm to yourself or someone else and short of that you're willing to sell out to help anyone who you encounter in the educational system yes Second, the way that you make decisions is always student-centered. You're putting the students at the center of everything that you're doing and then going backwards from there. Right. Yeah, that, that's the critical piece. I mean, you've, you have to understand that by putting kids first, other things are always going to be second, but it's not a bad thing if people know that. If you're upfront about that, if you're upfront and saying, is this what's best for kids, then people are going to know that. But I will, I will say too, though, that people, others who might be more interested in the position 
or others that might be more interested in the organization, if you will, the, the company of it, you're not going to get along well with them. And you've got to be prepared for that, that sometimes they're going to, those, those types of people might not always agree with somebody who's constantly fighting just for kids. It becomes difficult politically at that point. But so. think about what you're saying, and you've echoed this throughout this. You're talking about honest communication. I'm letting yeah. everyone know up front the decisions that I make are going to have students first. Yes. They're at the center of that. It's very difficult to argue those things. The school is there for the students. The school isn't there to give someone a job, or the school isn't there to take care of this regulation or whatever. It's just there to educate students and do what's best for them. Right. You're just telling everybody that and letting them know up front, if I make this decision and it makes your job a little bit harder or we have to do more work together, so be it. Yeah. We're always going to do what this student needs first. Right, and I don't, I don't want to discredit the relationship that you should have with teachers as well. I say this to a lot of people. So, like, even if, if you're at a superintendent level or even a principal level, you've got to look at your teachers and even your larger group of teachers, the union itself, You've got to look at that as an opportunity and, a, and as a full member of your learning community and support that with everything you have. Go into that relationship absolutely naked, if you will. Go into that relationship willing to serve and not, and not separate. Because if you think about what's best for kids, how are you going to deliver what's best for kids if you don't fully support the people who are in front of them every second of the day? That relationship must be airtight and that organization of the, the union itself must know that you are willing to give everything to help it, to help them to get to the kids. So if you don't have as if you don't have that that upfront one-on-one, if you're not the teacher as a principal, you must support the teachers as much as you're supporting the kids because that's how you're getting to the kids. If you're a superintendent, you must support the teachers as much as you support the kids, as much as you support the board, the community, everybody, in my opinion. That has to be at the forefront. So, And I think people get lost in that sometimes. People forget that it's not us and them. It's not just administrators over there and teachers over here. No, it's us, and our job as administrators is to get teachers what they need to do the best job possible. And you'll, you'll see that in some of the literature. You'll hear that from voices within schools, the opposite of that sometimes. You'll hear, oh, that administrator acts like they forgot what it was like to be a teacher or an, almost an adversarial relationship sometimes between administration, leadership, teachers, students, families, and whomever else. Right. You're saying that, it should be the opposite of that. It should be the opposite of that. Um, when you call a family and say, I've got to suspend your kid, um, more times than not, the family that you're calling understands that you've had to come to that decision and it wasn't easy to make. Um, th- also, when you, when you say to that family, I'm going to help you out, they also understand that, they, that you mean that and that, that you're going to follow through with that. That, that relationship is essential. It's, it's essential at the family level. It's essential at the, the teacher level. Um, and if, if, you, if you walk the walk that you're talking, 
and you study in the right direction and know what you're know what you're doing and supposed to do and then outwardly project that and outwardly have that uh, that demeanor about yourself you're going to develop trust you're going to you're going to have enough things to back up what what you're talking about and the last key point i think i will try to summarize and it's a collection of a few of the questions that i asked you and it's on the forefront of my mind because I was just finishing up some research and reading on mindset and also grit. Is the passion that you have for your position and your role. And that research on grit and mindset is very clear. If you are not passionate about the vocation that you have chosen, it will not become something that drives you and that is meaningful to others around you. Okay? Talk a little bit about that level of commitment and passion that you have. So it's it's very important that when, when I approach something that I do it with everything I absolutely have. And when it comes to helping other people, the what you get back from that isn't it's not a feather in the cap it's something else it's it's a fact that you know you're making where you are a better place by serving it the way you do and that is what pours everything from me into my job knowing that i'm creating something better tomorrow hopefully than than what was here yesterday or today i'm i'm constantly pushing forward for that because if, if kids deserve that, which they do, and you realize that and you're able to see that, you have a sense of, of completion to your to your life, I guess. You know, there's there's more to it than just doing it for a paycheck or doing it for a title. It's doing it for the sake of doing it. I guess that's that that idea of, of having servitude, you know, of, of knowing that you're here for something more that wasn't there before. And when you put that into it, when, you, when you've got a little bit of that and a sprinkle of, of, of inner competitiveness, I don't want to say, like, I don't compete with other people. I don't care about that. But knowing that if I, if I reflect on what I'm doing, if there's a way to do it better to get a better result, I'm constantly going to do that. I'm thinking about it in that direction. I'm going to do it. You know, having different innovative ideas or just different ideas at all. You know, I, I know that what I'm doing now is getting this result. And if it, that result isn't what I'm looking for, then I'm going to do it differently to get a better result. And that that's driven for everything that I do professionally. But we are doing very, very important hard work every day. And what our students deserve is not people that are in positions because they like structures and policy and to be organized. We deserve, our students deserve, our community deserve people that are passionate about their role because they want to help other people. Right. Um, yeah, if you're in it for something else other than to help people, you're in it for the wrong reasons. Um, I, I've heard lots of different things that, that strike me down a little bit, that, that dishearten me. Things like, oh, well, you're making the big bucks. One, I don't know how much I'm making. I don't do money. I'm not organized enough to keep that part of my life separate and, and organized. My wife takes don't care of that. Don't tell people that. You're yeah. in charge of a school budget. I'm, I'm, in, I'm in charge of a school budget, right? But I don't, I don't, I don't know. 
I honestly don't know how much I make miles. I, <laughs> I've been reminded that it's 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 more than somebody else at times. Um, but I don't play that game. I don't get sucked into that that thing. If if you're in it for that, or if you're in it for the sense of entitlement. Or, or whatever, because it's it's a stepping stone to the next thing that you want. You're in it for the wrong reason, and and I guess somebody else is going to pay the price for that, and I don't like that. I don't like knowing that if if you're in it just because you think that this is the the pinnacle part of your career, because that then no no understand that if if you're not helping, you're hurting. You know. But some of the things you just said, and I'm not trying to make this a commercial for grit either, but a lot of the things that you are echoing are very present in some of the things I was just reading about, about grit and passion and mindset. Yeah. The people that do their jobs to the highest level and that love them, they're not doing them for a salary. Right. That's secondary. That is just making sure you survive. Right. They're not looking even to move up in whatever organization they're in to get a pay bump. They're looking to move up and to continue to progress because they feel as though that's related to their passion and their drive and what they're trying to accomplish. Right. And and remember what I said on a on a podcast a, a few episodes ago. It's not about a feather in the cap. There is no feather. There is no cap. There's just do. There's just do for people. The recognition is wonderful if it comes, but if you expect it to come, shame. No, don't expect recognition for that. If you expect recognition for something, then teach that one should expect recognition. Right? I'm going to teach what I expect to get back always. And and I don't go out there teaching that. I don't teach the word deserve. I don't teach the word recognition coming back. I don't want that. I I just want do for people. That's at the core of, of who I am. Do for people. And I guess I kind of laid out, I think, the main points of what I've observed and what I want to say at the end is just that, to me, you're proof that administration can be done differently in a way that does put students first. That for me, for the first time I really encountered that and observed that, what you do and the way that you do it, it showed me that... There is a right way to do this. There is a different way. Not to say that the way that some other people lead buildings is wrong, Mm -hmm. but there might be a better way to lead a building and get a different culture and different results. And I just want to say, you know, that I believe that you're talking about that model. And like I said, I keep talking about the literature, but it's there. It is being an instructional leader. It is doing all those things that you just discussed. And this is a real world, real time example of what that can look like. Well, thank you for that. I appreciate the the compliment. But at the same time, let's say that I, I do in the future pursue a higher level of, of administration for leading like a school district. That would be the only reason. Because if, if I believe that what I'm doing is right for kids then I'm going to try and take this to the next level so that more people can find that same belief within themselves that are leading buildings. So I can now move my classroom to even more people. So my classroom has has gone from 30 kids every 42 minutes or 20 kids every 42 minutes to 330 kids plus 25, 30 staff members 
to now maybe 3,000 kids and 300 staff members. If I can create what my vision looks like for more and more and more people, I will do it. I mean, I'd be willing to go as, as high as it takes as long as we could make a an effective, um, desirable, fun, engaging learning atmosphere for every kid possible. I would do it at, a, at the world level if I, if I could. Well, the progression that you're talking about, yeah. Mike, is exactly what I think should happen. If you're a great teacher, if you have a great ability to do things at the classroom level, those are the people that should become building leaders to share how that happens with an entire building, to lead and teach that building and all right. of those students. And then if you're doing that at a really high level, at a building level, those are the people that should move up at administration and have the opportunity to teach other building leaders how to do that and lead all of those buildings within a school district. And that's just the natural path of what should happen. Yeah. Again, I, it's, I, I assume I, I would agree with that. I just never think of it that way. I just think of it as where is the need? Is the need where I am? Is there more need than where I am? Like, I'm, I'm going to follow that. So I'll, I'll agree with you. Sure. But I mean, in our conversations, I think we're really serious about this. Yeah. All we want to do is find the best ways to help the most people. Yep. That's it. Period. It could be it could be at a Saturday afternoon program at the Y next week. It's just helping people in whatever way we can do that. Right. With all that we talked about, is there anything else that you feel as though I missed or maybe you didn't get to touch on in just thinking seriously about what great building level, level leadership looks like? I think we touched upon it all. Um, but, again, if, if you're going into it with some, with some other ulterior motive other than helping people, please, 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 second, make, it, make a second choice or a third choice or whatnot. Have something else to go into because um, please don't do anything at the expense of kids or your staff members. Please don't capitalize on, on those types of things. We're here to do for people, um, kids and staff, kids and building in that order, like I said. Please don't go into it for something personal. Please don't. Please don't go into it because it's it's got a higher pay bump or, or any other reason. Just understand that you're going into it to help people. And to put my final touch on this or final observation, have the courage to do what you know is right. Yes. Yeah. Have the courage to follow your own conviction, your own path, and do what's best for the students and the people in your school community. Well said. All right, Mike. Thanks. That's right. another one down. All right, Miles. This has been the Schools Out podcast. Continue the conversation and explore past and future episodes at schoolisout.org.